Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Snark Nights podcast, a show where we're talking about comic book movies. I am your co-host, Snark Knight Luke, and with me, as always, Super Jahan. Hey, we're back with Super Jahan. We just spent some time with you. Superman 4. Oh, we did. It's our third Superman movie and our first outside of the original franchise. Maybe. We don't know. Yeah, it depends who you ask, I guess. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. Up top, we are now living in a post-Endgame world. And Batman v Superman is no longer the movie I want to talk about the least. Well, soon it will be in the hat, and then we have no choice. Yes, the hat can be a cruel mistress. It's uh, been, for the most part, pretty mean to us, but <laughs> there are dozens more movies to go. Yeah. But uh, we're back to The Godfather for this one. Yes, we are. Shall we get into this? Let's do it. Okay, today we are talking about 2006 Superman Returns. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. And uh, a lot of legal battles have mm -hmm. been waged to make sure that we all know that. Superman's first appearance was in Action Comics number one from 1938. And the movie is directed by problematic Brian Singer and starring Brandon Ralph, Kate Bosworth, problematic Kevin Spacey, James Marsden, Parker Posey, Frank Langella, Sam Huntington, Eva Marie Saint, Kel Penn, and Tristan Lake LeBoo. And, of course, a posthumous appearance by Marlon Brando, who not only didn't want to be in the original one, but almost certainly is rolling in his grave about being included in this one. Would not surprise me. Apparently they had a lot of extra footage from him from 1978, and uh, they just negotiated with his estate to use it. Yeah. More Brando. Sadly, no instances of Krypton. Alas, no, but you and I can add that in, so it's okay. I'm sure we will. And on that note, care to give us a breakdown? Sure. On the doomed planet Krypton... There I told you we'd get right into it. <laughs> on the doomed planet Krypton, a wise scientist places his infant son into a spacecraft and launches him to Earth. Raised by a kind farmer and his wife in Kansas... The boy grows up to be our greatest superhero, Superman. But when astronomers discovered the distant remains of his homeworld, Superman disappeared, just as did Superman 3 and Superman 4 The Quest for Peace and Supergirl. But how can this Man of Steel serve as a better sequel and conclusion to the first franchise, all those years later? Let's find out. First, we see the remains of the doomed planet and hear the words of Superman's father, Jor-El, as he wishes his infant son the best of luck, before launching him into space. And after the baby is fired into the cosmos, we see the planet explode again, expelling bits of Krypton into space, and reminding us, as every single Superman movie does, that his planet exploded. We follow the debris through space, and along with a very 1978 Superman homage opening credits, we arrive on Earth! Half a decade has passed since the events of the 1980 film Superman 2, but it's also modern times, just don't think about it too hard. A very sweet grandmother is on her deathbed, but instead of being surrounded by her loving family, she's with her new husband, who has locked out all of the aforementioned loving family. He convinces her to make him the only beneficiary of her will moments before her death, 
and on his way out of the house, traumatizes one of her grandkids by tearing off his hair and tossing it to the screaming child. Folks, if you're asking who could be this heartless and evil, well, it's none other than Kevin Spacey. I mean, <laughs> Superman's arch nemesis, Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor married this kindly old lady for her wealth after being released from prison for his Superman 2 shenanigans, and having acquired her wealth, is off to continue his scheming. Meanwhile, over in Kansas, a widowed Martha Kent is stunned to see a meteor crash outside of her farm. But this time, instead of a naked baby for her to adopt, she finds her adult son, Kal-El, aka Clark Kent. And Superman has returned just in time, because Lex is putting his newly acquired wealth to immediate evil use. Luther starts this plot by visiting Superman's Fortress of Solitude in the North Pole. The abandoned fortress has no defenses or verification settings, so Lex and his goons stroll right in and activate a bunch of Kryptonian data crystals, the type of stuff Superman used to grow the Fortress of Solitude, as well as to talk to the data fragments of his father. And since there are no safeguards, the crystals think that Lex is Kal-El, and give him all the information he asks for. The actual Superman is still in Kansas, far from his fortress and from solitude, as he recovers in his childhood bed under his mother's watchful eye. It turns out that his five-year adventure in space was fruitless, as he hoped to find signs of life, but only found debris and emptiness. The Kent family farm is full of warm memories for Clark, and he fondly reminisces about decimating his father's corn harvest and breaking the roof of the barn. But in the present, he feels unsure of his future as he watches news of our earthly troubles and tries to decide if he could return to his life as Clark Kent, let alone as Superman. After some gentle encouragement from Ma Kent, Clark returns to Metropolis and immediately gets his job back at the Daily Planet despite the downfall of print journalism. While there are some that are happy to see him, I guess just really Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, Clark is disturbed to find out that Lois Lane, the love of his life, has moved on having gotten engaged and had a child during Superman's five-year absence. Speaking of moving on, Lex Luthor has not, as he is still obsessed with real estate. He plans to use the crystals from the Fortress of Solitude to grow a new continent in the Atlantic Ocean that he can then develop and profit off of. But despite his increased knowledge of Kryptonian technology, Luthor doesn't understand the forces he's dealing with. He shows off a scale model of his planned paradise to his henchmen, who are initially unimpressed both at his toy city and at his experiment with Kryptonian crystals. But Luther's attempt to test a tiny sliver of crystal and its ability to expand into a landmass ends up functioning as sort of an EMP device that shuts off electronics all over the city. And many miles above the intrepid Luther's plotting, Lois Lane is trying to do her job as a reporter by covering a state-of-the-art shuttle flight when the crystal's effects knock off the vessel's electronics. Luther is delighted to see the tiny bit of crystal create a less-than-tiny landmass in his playroom, but Lois is suddenly in great danger as the shuttle starts flying into space and destroying the plane it's attached to. Clark decides to officially unretire as Superman and soars into the atmosphere to rescue Lois, and, to a lesser extent, everyone else on the plane with her. After very slowly and dramatically rescuing the craft a moment or two before it crashes into a packed baseball stadium, Superman marks his return with a brief greeting to his former love interest and a quick reminder to everyone that flying is statistically the safest way to travel. Lois is understandably astonished to see him again, but waits a couple of minutes to faint. Superman's return has a similar effect on everyone else, as the city and the world are, for the most part, delighted to see him again. The Daily Planet holds an editorial meeting where Editor-in-Chief Perry White assigns a slew of Superman stories to his staff and most awkwardly to Lois, who recently won a Pulitzer Prize for writing an article about how the world does not need Superman. But while she may have publicly flipped him off, had a kid, and gotten engaged, 
Lois is clearly still pining for Kal-El, and very unsubtly talks about it with Clark, who is more than happy to start trying to break up her relationship. And since he has officially returned to Metropolis, Superman also returns to fighting crime, stopping a bank robbery with some incredible superpowers like, uh, getting shot and not being hurt by the bullets. Not everyone is thrilled at the Man of Steel's second coming, as Luther and his henchmen visit a museum to steal a bunch of kryptonite on display. Lois doesn't seem to be thrilled about Superman's return either, but he meets her on the roof of the Daily Planet, and after a brief conversation, she agrees to fly around the city with him. After a jaunt around Metropolis, including a very unsubtle detour Superman takes to make sure that Lois sees her fiancé's house, they return and nearly kiss before she remembers that she's trying to be mad at the Man of Steel. As Lois struggles to process her feelings, Superman struggles to process the sudden absence of all the Kryptonian crystals from his Fortress of Solitude. These struggles combine as Lois starts investigating the blackout that almost caused her to die in a plane crash. She manages to track down the source of the EMP to the Luther residence. For reasons known only to the gods of plot convenience, she also brings her son with her on this visit and lets him join her as she trespasses onto Lex Luthor's mega yacht. But instead of child protective services, she runs into the alopecia asshole and his goons, who kidnap her and her son as the vessel departs for international waters, soon to be ground zero for Lex Island. Luther is all too aware that Superman is a sudden threat to his plans, so he uses the stolen kryptonite along with the Kryptonian crystals to modify his intended landmass. The enormous island that starts sprouting from the Atlantic is now an enormous chunk of watered-down kryptonite. From the yacht, Lois manages to send a fax to the Daily Planet with the boat's coordinates, but Superman flies off to save her a little too late because the kryptonite landmass starts sprouting from the waters. The sudden creation of land in the middle of the ocean obviously fucks with the Earth's crust, and Metropolis starts shaking from the resulting earthquake. Superman turns back to save the citizens of the city from debris, gas leaks, and other disastrous stuff, preventing what surely would have been Zack Snyder-esque levels of civilian casualties. While Clark is saving the city, Lois's fiancé arrives via seaplane to save her and her son, now revealed to be the son of Superman after some feats of strength on the boat to save his mom, one of which involves murdering a guy. Those heroics are almost for naught, as the rising Kryptonian landmass fucks up the boat. But of course, Superman comes flying in and saves the day. He gets them all back to the seaplane and sends them off before heading back to the new island to confront Lex Luthor and co. But the kryptonite in the landmass starts taking a toll, and before Superman can stop Luthor, Luthor is able to drop him with a single punch. Lois has a feeling that Superman is in danger and makes her fiancé turn the plane around, endangering him, her son, and herself. Luthor's henchmen beat up on Superman, who is getting more fucked up from the kryptonite every second that the island grows. After a heavy beating, Luthor uses a shard of kryptonite to stab the Man of Steel and leave him bleeding out. But Superman manages to rise to his feet and, uh, fall off a cliff. Superman falls into the ocean, but as he drifts deeper into the water and further from the landmass, his strength returns, and he saves the day. Nah, I'm just kidding. The seaplane lands just in time for Lois and her fiancé to jump into the ocean and save him. They start flying away, and Superman figures out the only way he can stop the landmass from spreading. He soars through the clouds until he is in direct sunlight. The solar radiation rejuvenates him, and he uses his heat vision to cut through the island. Separated from the roots, the mass is no longer able to grow, and Superman focuses on removing the existing parts. He flies through the water under the mass and starts pushing it up into the sky. The power of believing himself finally gives him the ability to ignore the kryptonite, as he flies up and Lex Luthor and co. try to escape. 
All of the henchmen except Kitty are killed by the crumbling landmass as she and Lex fly off in his helicopter. Disillusioned with her shitty boss, Kitty throws out the remaining Kryptonian crystals. Superman heroically propels the landmass into space, where it joins the rest of Krypton as pretty crystalline space debris. Superman's heroism does backfire as the exposure to kryptonite eventually puts him in a coma and he falls to the earth. Unfortunately, it's not a Kryptonian healing coma like the one Doomsday put him in, but he manages to recover anyway. Lois visits him at the hospital and whispers to him, likely about the five years of child support he owes her. She's still <laughs> engaged to her fiancé, but compromises by writing an article about why the world needs Superman. Fully recovered, Kal-El obliges her by flying into space and casting his watchful eye over our planet, a planet he can finally call home. The end. That's what we get instead of Superman 3 and 4. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is the Snark Nights podcast, and I did try to keep it snarky, but with a happy ending. So I hope you have something that's a little less happy and a little more snarky for us. Oh, definitely. In 1978, Richard Donner and Christopher Reeve brought to life Superman, showing us both the strength and vulnerability of one of the greatest superheroes ever created and made us all believe that a man can fly. It became an inspiration, not just to the people watching it, but it showed the world what comic book fans already knew, that superheroes are about more than just capes and tights. In 2006, Superman Returns made us all believe that there are a lot of people who claim they understand Superman, but really don't. So, we got what is basically the movie equivalent of the Chris Farley show. Like... Remember when, in Superman, we got to see, like, a young Clark Kent um, discovering his superpowers? Mm-hmm. That was awesome. Yep. And remember in Superman, when Superman said that flying was statistically the safest form of travel? Yep. That was, that was so cool. Very cool. And remember when, when Lex's whole plan revolved around like land ownership dude loves real estate yeah that's right superman returns is two and a half hours of uncreative rehashing that is a sequel to the first superman or maybe superman 2 or a mix who knows because these creators sure as hell didn't it inspired nothing and served only to introduce the world to the wonderful brandon ralph to be fair, they did add a couple of new elements. The first is that Lois Lane is no longer a ball-busting, hard-edged reporter who isn't afraid to show vulnerability with people she cares about. Now, she is a horrible human being who every day for the past five years has lied to a man who absolutely loves her and continues to lie to him on a regular basis. The second is that Superman now has a son for some reason. It's <laughs> Superman Returns! Yeah. So there are certain movies that I hate so much, I've seen them only once, but have them so memorized, I could discuss them and sound like I just watched it again. This is one of them. Uh, I didn't hate it as much as you did, but... I had only seen it once before, and uh, 
This is the second time and probably the last. Yeah, I yeah, and I saw this way back in 2006. Oh, thanks for contributing to nearly getting a sequel made for it. Uh, to be fair, I've worked at Blockbuster and I rented it for free. Ah, okay. I thought you saw it in theaters. Good for you. Nope. Fun story about why I did see it in theaters. My wife and I were having a very long fight. Well, probably the nicest thing she ever did for you then. <laughs> uh, it's up there. Um, I mean, I, like I said, I don't dislike this movie as much as you, but I think we're on the same page that it just adds nothing. Like you said, it's rehashing the first couple of movies. It's like a mix of stuff from both of them. And the only thing really different about it is that it takes place in 2006. Yeah, it's just a series of weird decisions. Part of me thinks that the entirety of this movie exists just because of the footage of Marlon Brando saying, and the son will become the father and the father the son. I think also they needed to do a Superman movie to retain the rights. <laughs> yes. Because of the legal battles between the Schuster and Siegel families and Warner Brothers and DC Comics. It's mm -hmm. also why we have to get a Superman movie, I think, like once every decade. Otherwise, the rights revert to their estate. Which is why we got Man of Steel uh, about half a decade after this one. It's just, it's aggravating. In case anybody hasn't picked up my aggravation already. Um... So, that whole opening scene with Lex Luthor and the old woman, absolute Good waste stuff. of time. It's 15 minutes of just nothing. It didn't need to happen. It's totally worth it, just for that ending where he traumatizes the little kid when he throws the <laughs> wig at her. Sure. I have to respectfully disagree. So, first of all, he gets her to sign a will literally moments before she dies. Yep. That That'll hold would, up in court. I was about to say, that would not hold up in court. Yeah. That's awful. Secondly, that whole bit exists just to explain why Lex has money. We could get just a line of exposition. Like, the first 15 minutes of this movie don't need to happen. I think one very disappointing thing about Lex Luthor's character is that he's supposed to be very smart, <laughs> but yeah. he's not in this. Uh, no. And it's it's highlighted in a little monologue he does, more than any of his actions, all of which are pretty dumb, but he gives this monologue to Kitty, Parker Posey's character, where he talks about how Superman's not a god, and then he talks about the myth of Prometheus bringing fire to the humans, um, and then Prometheus was punished by the gods who imprisoned him for giving the secret of fire to humans. But mm -hmm. he refers to Prometheus as a god, and Prometheus is not a god. He was a titan. Yep. The titans and the Greek gods are not interchangeable. There's a difference. There was a war between the titans and the gods. The titans were the predecessors to the Greek gods. I know it. Someone as smart as Lex <laughs> Luthor is supposed to know it, too. Yep. On that note, Greek mythology is classic superhero stories. So it's very appropriate to rag on them. Well... I think one really nice thing about this movie after the fact is that for all of its faults, it's a lot easier to criticize it now that we know Brian Singer is a huge asshole. Yeah. Thanks, Brian Singer? <laughs> yeah, thanks for being a creep and a dick. Yeah. Get a little bit, little bit more into the movie. We really have to accept up top that even though this movie is made in 2006 and assuming it's supposed to take place in 2006, it is really still a 1970s movie because we get a big meteor crashing in Kansas 
without a ton of military showing up. I think the only 2006 stuff in it is the technology. Yeah. But then the only time technology really plays a factor, it's a fax machine, so <laughs> toss up. Yeah. Uh, but there are cell phones. I used fax machines quite a bit in 2006. Well, you're a pretty retro guy. Yeah. And, oh, God, I loved your rag. When Lex goes to the Fortress of Solitude, and there are no security measures. Yeah. I mean, aside from the lack of security measures, you know, whatever, I can understand them saying it's, like, decrepit after five years, whatever, it's dumb, but I can move on. The thing that really got me is that the data crystals just assume that whoever's there is Kal-El. Yeah, and what's worse is, back to your point of Lex Luthor is supposed to be smart, within seconds of each other, he first says he thinks I'm his son when Marlon Brando's Jor-El starts talking. Mm -hmm. And then Kitty makes some comment. And then Lex Luthor's like, you dummy, it's a recording. Maybe he's overcompensating. I think as with a lot of other things that happen in this movie to move things along, a lot of it's just very convenient. Yeah. Clark is also a dick to Lois because uh, he's trying to break up her relationship in a very unsubtle way. Yeah. But she's also a dick to her fiancé because she is clearly not over Superman. Okay, here's a good place to do a timeline. The only reason we know that they're including Superman 2 in this is that Lex Luthor knows where the Fortress of Solitude is with Kitty doing the line of, it's like, you've been here before, and he rolls his eyes. Just tell her, yeah, I've been here before. Don't be a dick. All yeah, the he's time. not a nice boss. No. So the timeline, so at this point, five years ago, it was 2001. So did Lois get pregnant during that time where in Superman 2 that Clark is depowered? But she also doesn't remember that because he erased her memory. So that means immediately after Superman 2, Superman left... And Lois hooked up with Richard immediately. So did Superman 2 happen? A lot of it revolves around when did Superman take off? And without talking to Lois at all is insane. If she was pregnant at all before he left, he would have known. He has x-ray yes. vision. X-ray vision, super hearing. He is hyper aware. So yes, he would know. Yeah. But nope, he's just utterly surprised when he gets back. Yep. I want to talk about the acting, because we have Ralph, Spacey, and Huntington doing really good imitations of Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, and Mark McClure, respectively. Sure. Kate Bosworth is nowhere near bringing the same personality to Lois that Argo Kidder did. Yeah, I think that was possibly intentional, though. She seems like the only one not doing an impression. Right. And that's fine, because she's fine in this, my opinions of the character aside. Yeah, for sure. It's also weird, since everyone else is stuck doing an impersonation, that yeah. they wildly divert with one character. I could picture Marco Kidder knowing it's going to hurt, but slapping Superman anyways. Mm-hmm feel like also Lois Lane would be a better mother. Just putting it out there. <laughs> Maybe endangering her child less. Yeah. 
What do or I know? A, but... Or a better journalist and researching the house that she's showing up to with her son. Yeah. She just goes there, sneaks onto a yacht. She is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Yeah. So I, I think I do need to ask now, do you think Brian Singer maybe has a problem with women or is it maybe just whatever women James Marsden is acting against? Does better job in X-Men than he does here, but... It's just, it's just two of them. We have Jean Grey, who is a good character, but she never just tells Wolverine to back off. Right, and and just like Lois in this, Jean Grey in X-Men, despite being with James Marsden uh, as well, is just very unsubtly attracted to and flirting with someone else. Um, I think that Parker Posey as Kitty gets a, a pretty solid showing here. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense why she likes Lex or works with him at all, but it's a weird role for Parker Posey, and she does a pretty good job. She does a great job. Have you seen Blade Trinity? Yep. Okay, I was about to say, I can't wait for you to see her in Blade Trinity, because she is batshit insane. Yeah, read into my sigh however you wish, but yeah, she was great in that movie. <laughs> yeah, she's great in everything. I think the weirdest part of this movie for her was the scene where Lex and co use her as a distraction while they steal kryptonite from the museum. So she's basically speeding on the streets of Metropolis in a car with no brakes. Mm -hmm. Um, But this plan of theirs, this distraction, which works, you know, Superman goes and saves her and doesn't realize that kryptonite's being stolen. I I just have some questions. Like she didn't know the brakes were cut. Sure. But why was she going that fast? Unless there was also something up with the gas pedal. And she's going like 70, 80 miles per hour around the busy streets of Metropolis on the streets and the sidewalks. And she manages to not kill anyone and Mm -hmm. also to not die despite driving like this for a couple of minutes and not knowing the brakes were cut initially. It's just bonkers. It's just the messiest, most chaotic, uh, most unreliable distraction that you can imagine. But it works. It's also an unnecessary distraction because it's a silent crime. It wasn't like there were people yelling for help. They turned off the power. They took a rock. They left. Yep. It was fun, I guess. Yeah. And it also let them do an Action Comics 1 cover homage because a bystander takes a picture of Superman lifting her car before it crashes into a bunch of people. Yeah. And it's a shot-for-shot little homage to the cover of Action 1. Yeah. So, Data Crystals are growing crystals as well. They can do it all. They could be two things. They also grew the Fortress of Solitude in the first place, so why not? Well, a data crystal did. It was one designed specifically to do that, but now apparently they all do that. Well, it's 2006 now, so <laughs> the technology's better. So I do want to talk about Cal Penn for a bit. Lex Luthor henchman number three. They go out of their way to make him a little compelling and mysterious because he never talks. He also seems more regretful than the other henchmen as they do terrible things. And they never explain it. I have to imagine some of that was cutting room floor stuff. I have to imagine it was cutting room floor from the script. I think that they ended up just making Parker Posey the sort of emotional slash decent-hearted member of Lex Luthor's henchmen group. And that ended up screwing over Cal Penn to some extent. That is a really astute observation. I dig that. 
I'm actively upset right now that it's tempting me to go back and watch it. You got to take better notes, dude. Otherwise, you're going to have to keep watching the movies. <laughs> uh, tempting, but I will not follow up on it. Superman saving the jet. Really great scene, but Superman would know that pulling on the wing would snap it off. You'd think he'd fly a little faster to save it. There's this point where the plane is just falling to the ground and Superman's just kind of casually cruising behind it. The dude can fly very quickly, <laughs> and he does later in the movie, but it's almost lackadaisical as he just, from the atmosphere to like two yards above a baseball stadium, he saves the jet. Yeah. No, I, I dig it. It was just funny to me that before this movie was even made, going back to animated stuff, they have an episode of Justice League where Supergirl tries to save a jet and she grabs its wing and it snaps off and Superman shows up and helps her from there on and says, you can't grab a wing, it's a weak point, it's going to snap off, you have to grab the fuselage. It's fine. I thoroughly enjoyed that scene. Um, I thought it was great that this movie, as well as Batman v Superman, both relied on someone making a kryptonite melee weapon. Yeah. Lex Luthor sharpens a, a shard of kryptonite, intending to stab Superman with it later. It's just absolutely confounding that Lex Luthor and Bruce Wayne, two of the smartest people in the DC <laughs> universe, in two separate movies, just both conspire to defeat Superman by stabbing him. Just absolutely the stupidest possible approach to fucking up Superman. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get real close to do that shit. Yeah, he's a very scary alien, but Ooh. apparently that's the way to go. You also don't shoot at him. No, although, as with the plane, it was another nice little set piece in a movie that is desperate for more action. Oh, and desperate it is, because that shootout did not need to happen. No, it was just one of the little Superman's back yeah. crime-fighting montages, which uh, worked better when Christopher Reeve and Richard Donner were doing it. Yeah. So we have a group of bank robbers on the roof with a helicopter, and yet for some reason they feel the need to hook up a 50 caliber machine gun to shoot at the cops below them. Yeah. Then Superman shows up. The guy turns the gun around, keeps shooting at Superman, runs out of bullets, pulls out a handgun, and then... Shoot Superman in the eye. Well, 50 caliber won't do it. Maybe 9mm will. <laughs> Ugh. I was a big fan of the crystal test destroying the little model city <laughs> when Lex Luthor, he has this little model city, little trains going around, little little plastic blimps flying around, and Cal Penn drops a shard of crystal in the little mini lake in the little playset, and... Uh, Causes an EMP blast, knocks out a bunch of electronics all over the East Coast, but it was uh, it was actually like a nicely shot little scene of the little model city getting destroyed. Oh, yeah, that scene was great. Yeah, it was more compelling than Metropolis starting to collapse during the earthquake, which is sad to say, but I feel like I'm not wrong. No. Oh, another note about Lois being horrible. Just randomly calling Kitty a hooker? Yeah. Just unnecessary. And just ugly. Brian Singer does not like women. So let's talk about Lex's plan here. It is stupid. Every single real estate plot that Gene Hackman slash Kevin Spacey Lex Luthor contrive is just asinine. At least in Superman, 
he bought real estate and then his plan was to blow up everything else. Mm -hmm. In this, his stated plan is he's going to create a new landmass and everybody will want a piece. Of lifeless crystal. That is technically low-grade radiation. Yeah. And as if world governments wouldn't fuck him up. Yeah, I mean, aside from all the terraforming and logistical considerations, uh, that shit would get invaded immediately. He says, no one will be able to touch me because I'll have futuristic weapons that I can grow. Grow them first! Yeah. Just asinine when smart people are written so dumb. Yeah, I think he's more like mannerism-wise Gene Hackman Lex Luthor and less like thinking ahead to how he's going to pull shit off Gene Hackman Lex Luthor. Like, really, the most successful thing he does is get the old lady to sign her will off to him. And as we discussed, that shit would not hold up. No. But it's the best thing he does in this movie. So, we find out that Jason is Superman's son. Something they've been telegraphing for almost the entire time we knew she had a son. It's not necessary. Absolutely not necessary. This movie is almost three hours long. Cut some subplots. <laughs> I mean, with the son, you'd have to cut a whole character, but that's fine, too. Yeah, I mean, really, the only contribution he has to the movie is that he kills a guy with a piano. Yeah. And Lois keeps endangering her son. A lot of just irresponsible parenting from all sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the uh, kryptonite island emerges from the seas. Mm -hmm. That's like about an hour left of the movie when that happens. So I guess that's the climax. Um, <laughs> and then the flow of the movie is just utterly disrupted as the, I mean, it makes sense that a bunch of shit emerging from the ocean would cause stuff like an earthquake, but Superman's flying to save Lois because she manages to send that fax out with the coordinates and then he realizes Metropolis is in danger and he flies back and he saves a bunch of people. And it's nice, you know, cool, Superman saving stuff. It's visually, it's it's good stuff. But it just absolutely disrupted the flow of the movie. And I think really the only value that we get from it is having more action in the movie that, as we mentioned, really needs more action. And we're not saying this as like gratuitous violence lovers, but this is a very talky superhero movie. Mm-hmm. It's really more about Lois and Clark's relationship than anything else at the end of the day. And that's fine if, it, if it's done well, but it almost feels like Singer and co. were just like, oh yeah, we've gone 40 minutes without anything exciting happening. So they just have to throw in Superman saving people for 15 minutes in Metropolis. Yeah. Going back to something you just said reminded me, they don't really touch on Lois and Clark's relationship, which is kind of fucked up because they were friends before he left. Yeah, she's like absolutely uninterested in where he's been for five years. Acts like, oh yeah, a co-worker who she talks to once a week vanished for a while and just came back. Yeah, Jimmy Olsen is more excited to see Clark than literally everybody else in this movie. Oh, Sam Huntington is so great in this movie. The one problem is he does do a great Mark McClure impression, but the rest of the movie feels like it's a little more modern yeah. In in a lot of ways. And then you have this like wide-eyed, excited young photographer, very much stuck in the nineteen seventies. But he's cute. He does he does a good job. Mm hmm It's fun. I seriously enjoyed him. He also has a huge burden as the only comic relief in this movie, but 
He carries it well. I'd say Kitty's comic relief, too. That's true, but she is also the source of some of the more intense, sad stuff that happens. Oh, yeah. So, I know Superman is seen as having a lot of Christ allegory to him, but in this movie, it's a little on the nose, and it's a little gross that Brian Singer is doing it. When he's falling back to Earth, he is absolutely in the Christ on the cross pose. I was raised very Christian. I absolutely notice. If you think it's bad in this movie, wait till we get to Man of Steel. Uh, yeah, now that scene's playing in my head. ER doctors are dumb. It was really funny to see them try to inject Superman with stuff and then have all their syringes bend and break. I I like seeing that stuff happen in animated stuff uh, where Superman's trying to get operated on and everyone's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. But here it's like very serious and dramatic moment. It's just just weird and sad. Yeah. Not as weird and sad as having a fucking 30-minute epilogue to this movie, which is already way too long. It drags. The falling action is preposterously extended. So Superman saves the Earth. He falls down after throwing the Kryptonite Island into space. And there's half an hour left. Yeah. Let's do a quasi-speed run of what's left. Falls into a coma, hits hits the ground, hospitalized. They attempt to operate on him unsuccessfully, but they do manage to get the kryptonite out. Crowd shows up to show their support. Right. Lois and Jason go visit him at the hospital. Ma Kent is there just because they have Eva Marie Saint. Yeah, but not even at the hospital. She's just outside in the crowd. Right. Uh, I mean, to be fair, that she would have to give away a secret identity. Yeah. Just just an underutilization of Ma Kent as a character in this movie, but Brian Zinger hates women, we've we've discussed. So. We've discussed, yeah. <laughs> so then um, Lois whispers to Superman that Jason is his son because mm-hmm. he's the only one who hasn't realized it yet. Right. He wakes up, he creepily watches a little boy through a window and whispers to him. I guess it's less creepy now that he knows it's his son. True. He basically quotes Marlon Brando at him and then flies into space. And again, that statement does not make any sense. How does the father become the son? The son becomes the father makes perfect sense. The father becomes the son, unless it's supposed to be S-U-N, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's it's a statement that sounds profound, but it's just crap. Maybe it's a Kryptonian proverb. Who knows? That's true. And then uh, Lois starts writing an article about why the world does need Superman, really fishing for another Pulitzer, (laughs) doesn't break up with her fiancé, despite clearly at this point knowing that she prefers Superman and has made her peace with him, revealing that it's his son and that she's always going to be a part of his life. Uh, Then a fully recovered Superman flies into the atmosphere and just kind of keeps an eye on us. Oh, and Lex gets no comeuppance. Well, he's stuck on an island with Kitty and... uh, I guess that's actually kind of great. It's like a little tropical vacation, providing they eventually get rescued. Yeah. I mean, it's comeuppance, but it's very lame comeuppance. Yeah. So imagine everything we said over the last four minutes, and then add 26 minutes to it. Yeah. Fuck. (laughs) And that's Superman Returns. Well, then what is your favorite thing about this movie? Uh, My favorite thing about this movie is that they never made a sequel to it. Um (laughs) It's it's okay. I, I mean, we've we've shit on it plenty, but as we mentioned up front, I, I do like it more than you did, or at least I don't dislike it as much. 
I guess my my actual favorite thing is that it's a visually well-made film. Uh, it's not shot like a traditional superhero movie or even like Brian Singer's other movies, superhero or otherwise. Looking at you, best editing, Oscar winning, <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so yeah, this, this, this movie's shot kind of like a prestige drama cinematography wise, and it gives us a lot of, of pretty scenes like... Uh, Superman and Lois on the rooftop in front of the glowing globe on on the roof of the Daily Planet, the the bleak and mournful shots on the Kryptonite Island, and um, some lifeless Great Gatsby type shots on Lex Luthor's mega yacht. Uh, I guess it it sounds kind of bad to say that my favorite thing about it was the visuals. I realized because that's not just because other stuff wasn't good necessarily. It's not a bad movie in some ways, but as far as what stood out, it, I think it was the cinematography more than any other successful aspect of the film. It's also funny that the X-Men director made this because X-Men wasn't as pretty, but it had a lot more heart. And Hmm. somehow the same guy four or five years later made the exact opposite type of movie. So good range, I guess. Yeah, before I give it any more left-handed compliments, what's your favorite thing about this movie? I enjoyed when they let Superman be Superman. So him saving the plane... Him saving Kitty, stopping bank robbers. Yeah. Him flying into the lower atmosphere to listen to where he's needed. And then other things like when they show him actually thinking. As jarring flow-wise as him flying back to the city was to save it from earthquake stuff. They had him do a lot of smart things like flying upside down and using his heat vision to disintegrate falling glass. And figuring out the gas main situation before there was a massive explosion. Yeah, and getting there in time to just blow it out. And even him resisting kryptonite by sheer willpower. Superman being Superman is well done and enjoyable out of context. Yeah. It's kind of sad that Brandon Routh didn't get another shot at it because in better hands, I think he would have been a pretty top tier Superman. Yeah. He's fantastic in the CW DC shows as the Adam Ray Palmer. Yes. He's adorable. And great in Scott Pilgrim versus the world, but everybody's great in that movie. So how would you fix this movie? Tempted to say make it shorter because two hours and 40 minutes is a lot. This isn't a David Lean movie. There's just diminishing returns once your movie gets this long. Like we talked about, why is there a half-hour epilogue after he saves the planet that's just primarily Superman in a coma and Lois being sad? But I think beyond trimming some fat, the more I thought about it, the more I realized the main issue with this movie is how heavily it leaned into being an homage instead of trying to figure out its own tone. By making this a sequel to the first two Christopher Reeve Superman movies and by trying to emulate the mannerisms, the relationships, the themes of those films, this movie just felt stifled. It, It never came alive or created its own unique addition to the Superman story. It just never justified its own existence. And making it like that also led to the weird choice of focusing the movie primarily on the relationship between Lois and Superman. Because Superman's return should have a ton of ramifications, like how has the world dealt with his departure, his absence, his return. But instead of exploring some of that, we mostly see how he and Lois just reconnect. And this would have been a lot cuter if Lois wasn't engaged or had a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, why even have a subplot with the kid? What does it add to the movie? If you're going to throw in the son of Superman as a thing, it's harder to care about when it's like the sixth or seventh most important subplot. And we, we already mentioned that the reveal of it doesn't really do anything. We get 
nothing from any of the characters about it except for a little creepy nighttime monologue from Superman. And the Lois and Clark dynamic doesn't get affected by it as far as what we see on screen. Like maybe them having a kid together made it less creepy that Superman's trying to get her to break her engagement, but it just felt tacked on and sort of like a kitchen sink approach for a movie that's already pretty bloated without factoring in the son of Superman as part of the deal. There's other stuff that you could have cut to to slim down the runtime, but that would probably require cutting action out of the movie, and there's very little action in this movie. So Superman Saving Metropolis, while it did sort of distract from what was happening otherwise, it was sort of necessary because Superman doesn't throw a single punch in this movie. They they need to have something. Um, but I don't I don't I don't want to derail myself by by thinking about how to shorten it. So yeah, the main the main thing I would fix is just the nature of the homage was just unnecessary. It's just the suffocating nature of making this a strict sequel to older movies instead of figuring out what kind of movie this should have been was the biggest misstep as far as I'm concerned. And um, we literally two minutes ago, we're just praising Brandon Routh. I think he did a fine job. I like him as an actor and everything else I've seen him in. And this was just kind of unfair to him and, and to everyone else, just making them all do impressions. So yeah, what about you? How would you fix this? Oddly, we are now doing two episodes in a row where our Fix This movie is the same thing. Next time, I'll let you go first, just in case it happens again. <laughs> so, just for my adding to it, the homage stuff is charming to a point. But yes. it's a, it is a very short point, and they definitely overstay it. There are diminishing returns, yes. for sure. If at least Lex's plan didn't involve land again... That would have helped. The subplot with the sun added nothing. And Superman is supposed to represent the best of humanity. He should be above trying to steal someone else's girl. Yeah. And also we're supposed to believe that he just left without talking to Lois at all? Insane. So, yeah. Cut out the homage stuff. Cut out the sun. Make Lois a good person. Make Superman a good person. That's a lot to fix this movie, but those are the things that are objectively wrong with this movie. It's a rough one and a weird misstep for the franchise. Very weird misstep. It shouldn't be this hard to get a good Superman movie, but apparently it is. So with that, John, take us home. Uh, we'd like to thank Catherine over at Lone Shoe Graphics for designing our logo, which is a fitting logo to look at if you're listening to an episode where we're talking about Superman movies. Um, if you need any graphic design work done, look up Catherine over at Lone Shoe Graphics. And uh, if this is your favorite Superman movie, please email us at snarknightspod at gmail.com so we can recommend a good psychiatrist for you to talk to. <laughs> and if, if you want to debate the merits of kryptonite real estate, let us know on Twitter at Snark Nights Pod. Good times. Good times had by all, except for everyone who's watching this movie. But luckily, <laughs> next time we're going to do a different movie. So Luke, shake up that hat and please pull out a piece of paper with the name of a better movie on it. No promises. It's all up to the hat. The cruel, unforgiving hat. Maybe not that cruel. Join us next time as we discuss 2002's Spider-Man. Thank you, Hat. <laughs> Reprieve. Yeah. So, all right. see you all next time for Spider-Man, and until then, I apologize for nothing.
We'll be right back.